Welcome to the show. You are now part of Reveal, the revenue intelligence podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people success, deal success, and strategy success. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals, and they share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. What's up, Sheena? How's it going? I'm pretty good. Today, we met with Rahim, who is a mutual friend to a degree. He's a newer friend for me, but you and your husband have known him for a while. Yeah, it's uh, kind of continuing on your your uh, the joke that you made of how I'm like somewhat connected to anybody that comes on this show. Even when I make a new friend, I find out they already know you. <laughs> <laughs> but surprisingly, we had not met in person. So our Zoom call was like the first time that we met face to face. Nice, nice. Um, so that was very nice. Yeah, it was cool meeting with Raheem. He is the uh, co-founder and CEO of SV Academy. Uh, which is really interesting, and they do a lot of work uh, getting folks who pretty much have less opportunity, uh, that could be minorities, that could be women, uh, and getting them a shot uh, at a sales career. Um, so we chatted with him today, and that was a very interesting story. It is a story-filled episode, mm-hmm. but I have to admit, the way that he got his start in high school, uh, and especially being a, spoiler alert, hip-hop superstar, uh, it was really in- interesting to hear from him. Yeah, it was It was fun. Um, he's had a, su- a really interesting journey um, and I just love the stuff that his uh, company is up to today. That's awesome stuff. Let's go and dive into our interview with Raheem. Well, Raheem, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we're really excited to have you on the show today. I'm so excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this. And so we're, we're going to get started with the hardest hitting question I've ever asked on the podcast, which is, <laughs> we saw on Twitter that you're a self-proclaimed battle rapper. Please elaborate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I forgot that I had that on my Twitter profile. Well... When I was a kid growing up in high school, I used to freestyle battle people in the cafeteria and then at parties. And then eventually I got good enough where I used to call into the radio every morning and I would battle people live on the air. And I would tell I people, in, yeah, it was crazy. I'd tell people in class, you know, that it was happening. And, and so they'd call in and they'd vote for me. And eventually it became like this big thing where everyone would listen in and, and they'd, call, they'd, they'd call and there'd be votes and you know, the, uh, sort of the champion, I'd uh, be sort of the champion for the week. And then it would, it would kind of turn around. It was, it was one of the coolest, uh, it was one of the coolest experiences of my life at that time, because I kind of grew up idolizing all of these rappers and it was my way of kind of expressing myself, um, you, you know, in, 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 in a way that was like so different than how I was spending my time in high school. And it was also something that my parents had no idea about among a number of things they had no idea about. I'm curious because there is a, I was going to say real rapper, but you're a real rapper. There is a yeah. more famous rapper named Raheem. I'm going to go ahead and assume that he stole his name from you. He heard you on the radio. <laughs> Thank you. Please, please make that clear. If you can write a Medium post, put that up on Twitter, etc. It's really important because people will actually battle rapping me with tweets no. because they think I'm I'm the other Raheem, and <laughs> they don't understand that I'm I am the original. But now you know I make my money other ways, and right. so I've gotten into it a couple of times. One of the 
funny things that came out of this was, you know, when you, when I moved to Silicon Valley, like, like a lot of people here, I just focused so much on just my, uh, my professional career in the tech industry and being so serious about my life all the time. And I met this, this uh, younger entrepreneur who reached out to me, who, uh, who eventually ended up becoming an investor in SV Academy. His name is Eric Torn Tornberg. Big shout out to Eric Tornberg. He's, he's a guy in the tech industry, maybe, maybe one of the few that actually like meets up with other founders and gets them into freestyle, uh, freestyling. And, and he and I have like freestyled a bunch of times together. And because mm -hmm. of that, we became, became close friends. He ended up investing in SV Academy. And it's because of Eric and all of the freestyling that we've done that he introduced me to Ashton Kutcher and Ashton Kutcher ended up investing in SV Academy just recently. Ah. So those listening, if you're trying to get hooked up with investors, start battle rapping right now. <laughs> Wait 10 years and the, the stars will align for you. That's a great story. And, and so for our other icebreaker question, which is perfectly aligned is, what's your go-to pump up song? Oh yeah, so growing up, I used to listen to the all of this East Coast hip hop, you know, Nas and most death, Wu-Tang Clan, Cash Rules, everything around me for any of the early 90s hip-hop people. That is still the song that I keep going back to, to, you know, to pump me up. Not because, like, I'm super materialistic, but it's, like, it's, like, a reminder of sort of where I was when I was coming up in the world. And it's something I still have to remind myself about, you know, living in all of this privilege here in Silicon Valley, you know, what where I came from and, and what motivated me to, to, you know, take all of those risks and, and, and just fight so hard to change my circumstances, especially now I just became a father. So I have a little baby as well. No, and something I have to continue to remind myself at this stage of my life as well. Yeah. And I bet your baby's just getting wrapped lullabies on the nightly. If you are a parent and you have not listened to Luda's, uh, Llama Llama Red Pajama. Uh, yes, highly, I have. Highly recommend. <laughs> highly, great. highly recommend for all parents out there. <laughs> um, so I'd love to like, actually dig in a little bit more into your early years when you were growing up um, outside of the Silicon Valley. You know, starting from really humble beginnings and then eventually selling a company in high school itself. Mm -hmm. Tell us a bit more about how you grew up and how that shaped who you are today. Well, I think... I tried to, from a young age, whatever I set my mind to, I would try and put like 100% of my, myself into it. And so whether that was, you know, freestyling or, or just doing my schoolwork through high school, I was always very focused on just trying to do, as, trying to do the very, very best job I could. And, and then realized while I was going through high school preparing for graduation, there were people around me who they had their heart and mind set on college and they, and, and they had sort of this very kind of clear idea about what they wanted to do. But for me, you know, growing up in, in public school and not having necessarily an, uh, you know, role models around me that could help me understand what those steps could look like, let alone how to access it. I focused as much of my time after school on just trying to work. And so mm -hmm. as soon as I got my social security number, I started working uh, at, at 15 or 16 at McDonald's. And at the time, it was an opportunity I could possibly imagine. I mean, you know, in my social circle to work at McDonald's was a really big deal at that time. And I would have people coming into, into, the, into, the, into the restaurant. I would be up at, at the till taking people's orders and I'd give my friends free fries and free <laughs> McFlurries and things like that. And it was ultimately because of 
giving away all of this free food that I end up getting fired six weeks later, which ended up being one of the most embarrassing moments of my life mm-hmm. um, to this day because I had made such a big deal about me getting this job and hooking people up that all of a sudden when Ronald McDonald like gives you the boot, it's really hard to you know walk through the, the halls in high school with your head up high. And it's also hard to get a job anywhere else. Sure. And so, so I thought if Ronald McDonald's is not going to give me a reference uh, for, for a job, I'm going to have to go and create my own opportunity out there. And it just turned out that, you know, I, my best friend and I started talking about what we could do post McDonald's a post McDonald's life. What could that look like? And I was, in I was in 11th grade and and we had a bunch of um, you know family friends who were small business owners and needed help setting up their websites and so we started helping them with their websites next thing we know we figure out ways of automating the creation of those websites and ultimately it turned into this platform that ended up serving over 25,000 businesses in about a year and a half but the whole the whole way we didn't tell it we couldn't tell our parents about anything because if our parents found out they were doing this they would probably hit us you know we'd get an opportunity to get you know either it's like the belt or the slipper or both and I don't know if you've ever had that stuff before especially if you come from a background like mine so we hid it uh, entirely from from our parents and in senior year right before my chemistry final exam we end up selling it for a couple million bucks and the night before it came out in the newspaper we end up revealing it to our parents oh. and our parents as you can imagine I mean they were uh, incredibly surprised because if you do some digging on my story, you'll find that they thought I was spending my time doing something else entirely. And when they found out that we'd been running this company and we just sold it and we made this, all this money, they were, they were surprised. They were incredibly happy. Uh, they were also upset because we had hid this from them mm-hmm. for so long. And and it was a very life-changing experience. Your question about, you know, how did it shape me? I think it, it sort of helped me build the confidence in myself to go and tread a non-traditional path, that I didn't have to follow what all the adults around me or of what all my friends were telling me what to do, mm-hmm. but rather, you know, focus on what I felt was my sort of greatest calling at that time. And... Once I had sort of developed that confidence along with some resources and made some connections, I found my career unfolding uh, in a way that I could possibly never have imagined growing up. Because listen, growing up in government housing, there aren't a lot of people that you can look around to and say, that's the role model that I want to be like. You know, I'm also South Asian, so I know what those expectations are and like the standards are and what, you know, there's like three careers that are acceptable and everything else totally. is like off the plate. Um, totally. So uh, hats off to that for, uh, you know, being the uh, rebel in all of that. And it paid off, so they can't be too yeah. mad, at least not now. <laughs> no, they're really happy now. I, I think they're really, really happy now. And I think they are really supportive as now I've become a father myself and starting to think about non-traditional ways of bringing up my own, my own child. And, and, and in my head, one of the, I think, biggest sort of gaps in, in sort of traditional education is focusing on human-centered skills and sales, which is why we're all here, why we're all listening to this. So I'm excited that, you know, there are companies like Gong out there who are really carrying the flag high for you know, a path that, that I certainly didn't know of when I was growing up. And when you said, Sheena, you know, there are three paths, it's, 
doctor, engineer, or lawyer, right? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Probably have a tattoo of that somewhere, you know? Um, so, I mean, clearly you're an entrepreneur at heart, uh, Raheem, because aside from the high school experience, you started a company called Involver uh, mm -hmm. and sold that to a small company called Oracle. Mm -hmm. So what was the process of building out that team, specifically touching on the sales side of the business? Yeah, well, like a lot of uh, opportunities in life, it came quite serendipitously. I had moved to Palo Alto. I had gotten pretty excited about new models and advertising. MySpace was the big platform at the time, so started to think about ways I could bring video onto MySpace. And then all of a sudden, Facebook erupted and and took off and the developer platform opened up. It just happened to be that I was in the right place at the right time, living on University Avenue, mm -hmm. having nothing to do, you know, with my life except, you know, hang out with my friends who are a couple of engineers and start hacking on, on that platform. And ultimately we built a, a pretty significant enterprise software platform that helped brands and celebrities and, and other influencers build Facebook pages in the same way I had, I had helped businesses do that in my first business on web right. 1.0, you know, at that time it was in social and it was sort of the same concept. And so made sort of a push button way for all of these pages to get created and populated with, with content and other interaction and video and quizzes and all of this stuff. And we ended there was some very cool stuff that ended up happening where Alicia Keys ended up using Involver to launch her album uh, streaming completely free before it hit the stores wow. and before it hit iTunes. It was all through, all through, uh, Involver and we had helped the, we were powering the Facebook pages for the white house. We were powering all of the Olympics and the NFL and, and even Facebook itself, Facebook for its various organizations would use Involver to, to basically run its, its, its fan pages. Mm. And, we opened this thing up self-serve and we would get 500 or a thousand uh, signups every day, completely wow. organically. And I'd learned some stuff from those, that those web 1.0 days where I would put the link in every account. So every fan page that was using Involver had a little, had a little link back to our site and that's how people found out about it. And we built this really beautiful organic inbound channel, which then allowed me to build out a team of SDRs that would sit on top of all of those inbound leads that were coming in and start segmenting them and, and, you know, beginning to, to call them and nurture them and, and upsell them into SMB packages and ultimately into, you know, mid market. And, and for the ones who were big, for example, we had companies like Nike that would come as free customers. Mm. I'd have the, the, the more senior BDRs call them and, and, upsell them into enterprise accounts. And ultimately that is what got the attention of Oracle where they realized that a number of their big accounts of specifically Best Buy that were also using other Oracle products on the commerce side, on the, on the content management side, were also now using Involver and being able to tie all of that in together became a big, big idea that Oracle, uh, ended up investing like, quite a bit of money behind. And now the marketing cloud is, is a pretty substantial part of the cloud business. 
the, the product that we had built, that little thing that we started on MySpace and then Facebook, just you know, a handful of people in downtown Palo Alto is now being still to this day uh, you know, sold as part of the marketing cloud offering to, to large, big enterprise customers all across the world. That's rad. That's a sweet success story. When you were growing out the team, it sounded like you had some BDRs. How many folks were on the sales side and were they kind of AEs, BDRs? I'm curious what the, the split was. Yeah, not enough is the punchline. I don't think I truly understood go to market. And I think had I understood it, I think the company would have done even better. Mm -hmm. I think I, I was a very kind of product and product marketing centric thinker. And I built a lot of the viral loops and, and, and onboarding channels into the product itself, which was a cause for great success at the beginning, but ultimately I couldn't figure out how to properly monetize all this inbound that we were getting. What we did do though was, you know, I would, I would talk to people, anyone who would listen and I would say like, do you know anybody who could help me with this problem? And I started to get people coming in for interviews um, for this role of an SDR, which I didn't really understand anything about. But all these folks were coming from very different backgrounds. None of them had actually done this job before, but I didn't know any better. And so, you know, we would hire the ones that I liked, just really personality more than anything else. And they would come in and we had segmented our leads pretty typically SMB, mid-market and enterprise. The SMB ones, for the most part, it was purely automated nurturing. If they needed any support, they were going to, you know, a support system uh, a self-serve support system for anyone that had that we could identify ha either had a certain number of followers on Facebook, like crossing certain thresholds, like a thousand, ten thousand, hundred thousand, uh, and then we and we could also then sort of enrich with additional data around revenue and company size, et cetera, et cetera. I'd either send to the mid-market team or the enterprise team. Now the funny thing is, like the enterprise team was just me for the most part. And the mid-market team were, you know, a bunch of very junior, what you would call AEs. And at the time they were just really like taking orders. There was so much demand for, for Facebook marketing applications that a CMO would tell their director of marketing, we got to do something to get onto to Facebook because that's where everything is going. And the CEO is telling me I got to do something over there. I have no idea how to do it go and figure it out. They'd go on Google and search for it, or they go on Facebook and look at competitor sites, figure out, you know, involve or come sign up for free. And then, you know, they'd get a call from one of us explaining to them, you know, what we could provide them at an enterprise level, which was a layer of sophistication that you could not get for free, either through our SMB product or through the Facebook self-serve product at the time, which gave you, you know, a view into your, your fan page analytics and into the fans themselves. Best Buy is the example. They started just by taking whatever they would put on their website, like a, or, or a newspaper, like a circular for the week. And they put it into their Facebook page and into the feed. And ultimately that strategy evolved through Involver and then through Oracle and the Oracle portfolio to then making it an e-commerce storefront and having all of the back end behind it. That's interesting. That's really interesting. And I imagine the, uh, 
those mid-market AEs probably had good good paychecks at the end of the week. Uh, the huge paychecks, <laughs> huge huge paychecks. I don't think, I don't think I have seen it at least directly. Not like it, it, I haven't seen it as as easy as I think it was for us at that time. And for most people listening, that's not the case. They don't have the champagne problem of too many inbound leads coming in and not enough bodies to help you know segment and triage those leads. And so outbound, I never really built that muscle around outbound. Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't until I, start, I, I got over to Oracle and I started to make investments in different SaaS companies and leverage the, the Involver learnings that I really developed like a real appreciation for the importance of the SDR, BDR team and the relationship between that team and the account executives. Sure. Some, you know, some, sometimes having those experiences at the big company uh, where they have established processes, it can help in some ways. It seems like you were able to potentially round out some skills that you weren't able to learn on the fly uh, by mm-hmm. going to a company like Oracle. Yeah, totally. I think had I only had the Involver experience and only had the Oracle experience, I would have thought that leads basically fall off trees. <laughs> and it's so not the case. I mean, you know, having now supported hundreds and hundreds of, of SaaS companies across the country, it's so clear to me that it, it, the importance of the very, very top of the funnel and the importance of outbound and the mm-hmm. importance of really thinking very thoughtfully about how you, how you build uh, that part of the funnel out so that you have predictability and um, throughput and and sort of efficient resource allocation throughout the funnel, which I think, you know, is, is probably an experience that is more the norm than, than the exception. Of course, of course. So why don't we fast forward a couple of years? Um, in 2017, you started SV Academy, um, which mm-hmm. from how I understand it is a program where you are training individuals who are specifically from underrepresented communities Right. And um, educating them on how they can be sales pros. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear how did this concept come up? I, I hear a little bit about it in like that out the folks on outbound and the need for that in your prior mm-hmm. experiences. But mm-hmm. tell us about this uh, shift to your next uh, venture. Yeah, well, on, it, it started with talking to either companies I'd invested in or you know friends who are running fast growing Series A, Series B, Series C in some cases. SaaS companies and trying to understand what their biggest problems were. And I was fortunate because I ended up linking up with a senior executive and operator at HP who had spent, like me, spent his life building building SaaS companies and operating and scaling and so on. And he and I together began trying to figure out what were problems that you know our friends were having in operating their businesses that, that felt like real bleeding neck wound problems. Mm-hmm. And over and over and over, Pipeline came up. And when we dug into it, it wasn't just Pipeline in terms of their sales funnel, but it was Pipeline in terms of the talent that ultimately you know, was hired and onboarded uh, into building that sales pipeline. Sure. And, and everyone's, pretty much everyone that we talked to said that that was a great constraint for them and they could quantify it in terms of the value of every dollar of pipeline to, you know, uplift in valuation, for example, and multiples. And so it felt to us like, 
there's a pretty meaty problem to sink our teeth into. And then when we started to dig in further, we found, well, there are, this is actually a multidimensional problem on the supply side uh, as well uh, as the demand side. On the, on the supply side, it was clear that the profile of individuals that were hired into these roles, including the ones that I used to hire for at Involver because I didn't know any better, were, was a pretty homogenous profile of like rich white male lacrosse player, right? So it started with, you know, just a lot of customer development, um, understanding the pains on, uh, you know, of the CEOs, heads of sales, functional leaders, uh, with, with respect to the availability of, of sales talent, and then looking at where the supply was coming from and realizing that there just wasn't enough supply. And part of it is a responsibility. Ultimately, we realized with the institutions, higher ed institutions, not focusing on sales, uh, and part of it was the employers having these pretty homogenous, elitist hiring practices. And if you didn't, for example, fit a, a particular profile, you may not make it through the recruiting system. Mm-hmm. And we realized that we could, we could take all of those learnings and apply them to creating a systems change that would be far more exciting than anything we'd ever done before. Because if we could change the future of education and if we could change the future of work, you know, particularly in the face of increased automation and, and, and this disruption we're seeing in the workforce uh, through some combination of skills and recruiting, we could change the lives for you know, hundreds and thousands of SaaS companies and millions and tens of millions of job seekers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the the fellows? I'm not sure if that's the term that you use, but some of the folks who have been through the program. Um, and you know, I think those personal stories can really hit home. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing to understand about SV Academy is we do not charge any tuition to the job seeker. So it is completely free if you are admitted, and therefore it is competitive to get into our program. Mm-hmm. We have low single digit acceptance rate for job seekers coming in and it's because we hold the bar very 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 high the only way we will create the change we want to see is by ensuring that only the very very best talent uh, is making it through and ultimately getting hired we're focusing on a pool of talent that for the most part doesn't exist in an employer's hiring pipeline or organization they are 40 percent african-american and latinx 60% 60% women, 70% low to middle income or first generation college graduates. They are individuals that, that employers, hiring managers are not seeing mm-hmm. in, in the hiring pool. And for example, uh, Devin Gaines at SurveyMonkey grew up in you know, the inner city in Pittsburgh, uh, you know, has been shot at multiple times growing up. Um, you know, his family moved him out of, of Pittsburgh uh, into East Palo Alto, ends up going through SV Academy, getting hired at SurveyMonkey as an SDR last month, promoted to an account executive. Nice. You know, or, you know, or Lupe, who's at Pure Storage, uh, you know, big public storage company, growing up in the foster care system, and at the end of last year, being named the SDR of the year across all of peer storage. That's awesome. Right? 
Uh, and then Diada Ocean, who came from West Africa uh, to the U.S. four or five years ago, really wanted to break into the tech industry, was driving Lyft, you know, for three of those four years, just trying to make ends meet and figure out how to how to get his break. And he one day picks up one of our graduates, who uh, Charlie, who's Charlie Rivas, who's who was also actually SDR of the year at Lacework. And Charlie gets into the car and, and, and starts having a conversation with Diada. And that conversation evolves to one where Charlie's talking about this great uh, transition he's made in his life, becoming an SDR, explains it to Diada Ocean and, and, and tells him about SD Academy. Ocean then goes back uh, later that day, applies to SV Academy. A couple of weeks later, gets into SV Academy. A couple of weeks later from that, several months after that, ends up getting hired by this incredible legal tech company called Bridge and has just completely transformed his life, not just for himself and his family, but also he's bringing a set of skills and perspectives into Bridge and into Bridge's customers you know, in a way that only someone who is coming from a background like, like Ocean's, you know, a background of many people who are, who are listening today, who are in sales, or who want to get into sales, who have had to work harder than their peer set in order to, to, to break through walls and ultimately change their lives. Every single student that we see has their own unique story and path. And it just, uh, it's, it is a privilege, it is an honor to help help them um, and support them um, while also helping to, to move the industry forward, you know, not just in terms of inclusivity, but also in terms of performance. I just got goosebumps. I'm very inspired from that, Raheem. That, that's such a cool story. Uh, all the examples, but especially the last one. Well, like if you are a sales leader and you are not engaging with Raheem and SV Academy, you should be. Um, I think what you guys are doing is really making a dent on um, the space. So sure, hats off sure. to you and the entire team. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, it feels great. I mean, three years into, into doing this business, just yesterday, Fast Company uh, announced that SV Academy uh, was the number two education company in its most innovative companies across the world list, which oh, is wow. cool. like this really cool feather in our cap. And, yeah. you know, given where we started and where we are today, particularly given the sort of complexity around the, the problem we, we've chosen to solve is something that feels, yeah, it feels very uh, rewarding. You know, the world's better for it. We'll get into the last couple questions that we have to wrap up our conversation today. And I'm going to change um, one of them up on you. So hopefully you haven't prepped a ton. So for SDRs that are out there, what one piece of advice do you have for them? I think if SDRs can really combine these two commitments to, uh, to themselves together, take 100% responsibility for your experience and be genuinely curious and detached from being right. I think if you can do those two things, you will be a powerhouse, not just as an SDR. I mean, in your life, yeah. I, you can talk to my wife. She's a lot happier with her husband after I've really, truly, deeply understood those commitments, uh, which I may or may not have uh, <laughs> been forced to examine as a direct result of um, <laughs> mistakes I've made uh, at home. I was forced to get better at taking feedback. How'd you, how'd you learn that? It, it was her feedback. 
<laughs> All right. Well, the last question that we like to ask folks on every show, Raheem, how would you describe sales in one word? Power. Ooh, nice. Absolutely power. Sales has the power to change lives. Interesting. Well, given the, given your mission and what you're doing at SV Academy and your, and your background, uh, it totally makes sense because cash rules everything around me and money is power, I've heard. Yeah, yeah, it does. I love it. Thank <laughs> you so much. It's been great to have this conversation with you both. Thanks for stopping by, Raheem. Always a pleasure, man. Thanks. All right. For this week's micro action, since Raheem and SV Academy is focused on placing minority talent, I'm sharing some ideas to think through when it comes to your recruiting talent pool. Yes, hiring has slowed across the board for many companies, but for the roles that are still open, it's just as important to focus on building a diverse workforce. A great starting point is to be aware of unconscious bias. Unconscious bias occurs when a person makes quick judgments about another person based on their inherent or acquired traits. Most often, people don't even realize it's happening, thus the name, unconscious bias. The best way to eliminate unconscious bias is to expand where you look when sourcing. Are you recruiting from a diverse audience? Have you tried recruiting using social media or niche job boards? By casting a wider net, you can reach a broader range of candidates. To expand your talent reach, try leveraging your employees' networks. This is how you can build a diverse, high-performing team. Since 88% of employers state that employee referrals are their best source for above-average candidates. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then. And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at gong.io.